Welcome to More Devotedly, a podcast for people who see the arts as a force for positive, progressive change. I'm Douglas Dietrich. This is Volume 4, Episode 4. pandemic and the economic downturn, the ongoing struggle for racial justice, the wildfires and hazardous air quality, all of that has created profoundly challenging circumstances here in Portland, Oregon. As I looked out the window at a yellow haze a few weeks ago and felt the discomfort in my chest just breathing air in my home, 2020 felt even more apocalyptic than it already was. But amidst that struggle, Emmanuel Henri, who goes by Henri, spelled O-N-R-Y, has taken the opportunity to clarify his priorities and to take his creative future into his own hands. Henri is a singer, dancer, actor, and pianist based in Portland, Oregon. He's one of very few black professional classical singers here. When the pandemic hit, Henri went outside to find places to sing, to keep his voice strong, and that led to some experiences that got him thinking. Why is it that some people cheer when they hear him sing? And why do others call security? Those experiences and others that we talk about led to his new project, a documentary and studio recording called Living in the Light. You can see a beautiful music video that's part of the project at moredevotedly.com, as well as a link to a fundraiser that's still in progress. We talk about how the experiences he's had during this time showed Henri that it was time to step into his own light and to show how others can do the same in their own way. And quickly, before we get to the interview, I want to say thank you to Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a hero of mine and so many others. If you're feeling sad to lose Ruth, please don't despair. Instead, Make sure you're registered to vote, and then make a plan to vote Biden-Harris, and for Democrats, down the ticket. Let's take back the White House and the Senate, and we can move forward with rebuilding America so that it's better for folks like Henri, and for folks like you, and folks like me. Here's the episode. And you prefer to be called Henri. Yes. Okay, great. And that I'll is that. my, actually, it's, would you like to know the story? I would. So I decided to go by the name Onri. It's a name that my professors called me in school, and it was just a beautiful way for me to receive others as well as calling other people by their last names as well. So it was just kind of like Mr. Hamilton, Mr. Onri. You know, it was just this kind of uh, beautiful connection. And, and so as of recent, two weeks ago, my brother actually passed away mm, sorry to hear um that. and so thus far i have had two brothers pass away and my father's passed away as well and 
I realized that I'm the only male to carry on the name. And so I thought it was extremely fitting just right after I decided to kind of go by Henri uh, and carry that name. That is my legacy. That is the name that I'm going to have go out for generations and the next generation. So uh, it's the question of what is your legacy going to be is something that I'm quite conscientious of these days. It's a time filled with (laughs) a lot of various highs and various lows and extreme highs and extreme lows, but nonetheless, a good time to be alive. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry to hear about your brothers and your father. Um, yeah. You mentioned high highs and low lows, <laughs> and um, you know, I think this, this project definitely represents that. This is a huge kind of body of work, and I'd love for you to kind of tell everybody what is involved. Give us that you know, how are you doing right now? It's kind of a good uh, question to start with. Yes. Well, um, right now I'm, I'm thriving. I'm living in a space of gratitude. I know that I'm not alone. That I have the ancestors with me that have walked before me. I have other individuals uh, in the community of Portland and also in L.A. and New York and in Australia that are all supporting me 100 percent. And so um, in this process, I know that I'm not alone. And that is a very, very good space to be in. Let's just start with the project. So currently I am working on this beautiful many pieces of work, uh, one of them being an EP, which is an extended play, about 35 minutes long. It is filled with classical music as well as contemporary alternative music, kind of like a Radiohead. Hmm. So you think of like if... If Beethoven, Aretha Franklin, the Mississippi Mass Choir, and Sam Smith all got together and created a project, it would be this project of yeah. Honoré. And so it's, it's this really, really beautiful exploration of my personal experience in Portland and bringing these worlds together in a very intentional way and also a very educational way. So we have the EP, mm-hmm. and that EP is also going to be based around the five senses. And so we have currently Olo Fragrances that has come and partnered with us. I've curated my own fragrance for the song Living in the Light. Mm. Um, We have a chocolatier coming on board. And the reason why I created this was because I didn't know when the next time we were all going to be able to gather. And so it's important that we see music and we see art in a very visual way, but also in, in taste and in touch and scent and smelling. And so all these senses create a nostalgic feeling and it's all curated by me and so it's really important that people are able to experience what I was thinking in the process and the time that I was feeling this song I think that that individuals be able will be able to connect with the album a little bit more closely as their own and to me as an artist I'm not as far off as they think hmm. Right? So it's a very, very personal experience that's, that's coming forth. And then we have this beautiful documentary based on me being an artist during COVID, thriving, and then all of a sudden losing almost everything mm-hmm. and not knowing how certain bills are going to maybe be paid, uh, losing about twenty-five dollars or $24,000 in work and about 26, 25 gigs as well in the process only in like one month or so and and then having to rediscover who I was and who I am in the process of COVID. Mm. Right. And I think a lot of us realize without our work, without our professions, 
we were questioned who we are and what do we do then? Mm-hmm. And during all of this time, I kind of realized, you know, if I lose all of my titles and if I lose everything that I'm doing, who am I as a person? Well, I enjoy singing and I know that I'll find my narrative through the voice. And so I began to go out into the streets and begin to sing. And there are some people on balconies that applauded and it was amazing. And then there are individuals uh, who are like police and security who pulled me over for, for singing and stopped me for singing. Hmm. And we just kind of begin to go about explaining the shame in that process and then writing this documentary. And then from that point, one morning I meet with this gal and sing this national anthem and kind of go on and just continue my days. And then a few days later, I'm singing, singing at the waterfront during the protest and leading the protest. And all of a sudden, I'm, all these different things are happening. I'm continuing to do the documentary. And then I get this phone call later on, which is this video. It's, it's great. We love this video from hmm. Portland State University. I get the phone call. And they say, we love this, this performance. And I say, uh, I haven't performed in quite some time, (laughs) or at least the performances that you've probably seen. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they were not referring to the the performance at the protest. And so I'm thinking, what performance is this? And they send me a link and it is, it says commencement ceremony of class of 2020 (laughs) PSU. And I thought to myself, Oh no. And it was this girl that shows up on the screen. And I thought, Oh God, I've done it now. <laughs> There's a lot of things that I've landed into, but hopefully this is, you know, not going to be one that ruins my career or something of that nature or to be known as that guy. Mm-hmm. And then I start to receive really interesting feedback that people were really touched by the experience. I didn't know this girl and it was just it was something that, that is just kind of my nature. If mm-hmm. you have someone who's singing in song, you go and enjoy them. And if you feel led to sing with them, you ask if that's okay, because we believe in consent. And then if it's a yes, then we create music together, and then we just let it live there. Mm-hmm. Let it live and breathe in that moment, and then we just kind of let it go. Mm-hmm. And could you kind of describe what happened in that for folks that may not have seen it? I'm yeah. sure they're all going to go check it out now. But Yeah, yeah. so uh, if, you, if you look up Onri National Anthem, or even Onri Living in the Light, um, you'll see... <laughs> Both uh, both videos. Uh, you'll see this video of Madison singing the national anthem. Perhaps if you look it up on, I think the ABC clip will come up. And so you'll see Madison singing the national anthem. And then all of a sudden I come up and join her. And in that moment, if we just kind of take a step back from the video, you pause it. I'm walking down the street headed to get a breakfast burrito. And from that breakfast burrito, I hear this voice and it's just kind of soaring within the park blocks. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, finally someone else has it. Someone else is singing in the streets aside for myself because mm-hmm. I, it's not that I enjoy singing in the streets. It's the fact that everything is closed and I'm a right. professional opera singer and a professional vocalist and I have nowhere else to sing because I'm not allowed to sing indoors. My voice is too loud. The outdoors is the only space and it's Finally, I see someone else has caught on. And I see this girl who's kind of got this, this small little camera crew with her as if she's doing like a TikTok or something or, you know, maybe doing like a class project because it's on campus. And I'm like, yeah, why not just sing together? It's okay. And so I see her singing and I walk past and this voice inside me is like, 
you should ask her to sing yes no yes no yes uh, I don't know and uh, then I just you know something in me stopped and said the least that she can do is say no and so uh, and if she says yes then then hopefully you don't screw up in the process <laughs> right sure. and so I, I just said okay cool so I took a, I turned around I asked I said hey um, do you mind if I sing with you I sing with the Portland Opera Company and and she just kind of paused and was like yeah absolutely cameras turned on and then i sang i gave them my my instagram handle and i was like well i don't think this will probably go anywhere it's probably a project or a school project or something sure. but yeah. if you want to send me something and stay in contact feel free here's my instagram handle and then continued on mm-hmm. and so what you see is actually me leaving the scene and so uh what you'll see is just me joining in song and and then singing and literally just leaving afterwards there's no way that she would have known necessarily who, you who were. i was right, or yeah. anything and, and it, it, anyone for that matter i mean i've done i've done a lot of work in in my past but but in general i think that i just said you know this this is my voice it's not about our names because at this point we're in we're in the middle of a pandemic everyone's lost their titles right right yeah um and so all that matters is who you are at the very moment you are it. And at that moment, I was just a willing soul wanting to simply sing along with this individual. Mm-hmm. And it happened. And, and then a month later, I got this strange phone call. <laughs> and right. the numbers began to escalate and escalate. And then you, we witnessed the documentary begin to grow from there. A day or two after I got done filming for the BBC News, mm. in the building that we're currently in right now, uh, I was racially profiled, and a, a friend of mine was racially profiled coming into the building. Uh, there are about four black men that were in the space, and again, the police go by, Portland police go by, and they stop, they see my friend going into the building at night, and then they begin to put on their lights and call in for more police to come because they believe that this individual clearly does not belong in the space. Mm -hmm. And so at that moment, again, there was, I I knew that this experience was getting ready to escalate very quickly if I didn't do something about it. And so we're all sitting trying to figure out what to do because we know that there's four black men inside of this beautiful space for some reason in certain people's minds Black men don't belong in beautiful spaces at night or during a pandemic. So the cops are waiting outside. I go and see, I go up to about all 40 windows or 40 or 50 windows. And then I begin to lift all of those windows very quickly. And as I lifted them, I began to sing opera to my fullest capacity. Hmm. And all of a sudden, People who were walking by started looking up, and the police paused their conversation and started looking up. And I did this this wave as, yes, I see you up here, and I'm creating beautiful art. Do you want to go listen, or should you go de- back down to the protest? Because that's where you're needed right now. Hmm. What happened? And within seconds, <clears throat> they waved back, and they left. Hmm. And at that moment, I realized that high art disarms. Definitely. And for some reason, within the white American culture, 
really afraid to to harm beautiful high art will harm art that maybe is hip hop at any moment that I would have turned on any hip hop music or I would have turned on any jazz or I would have turned on something else we would have been dragged out of the space because of the protests happening less than a mile away mm-hmm. but the documentary needless to say I don't want to give away too much but the documentary shares upon these really personal beautiful stories that happen and kind of allow for us to think about what what is happening in Portland why do we believe in the way that we believe and what is the overall message and in that the overall message is once we stop running this race we finally begin to win and sometimes when we when we run a race in life we run the race of others we run the race that is not necessarily our course and therefore we fail to see who we are in the process right. and so um for many POC like myself in Portland I've been running a race here in Portland that was not necessarily my own I've been doing music in opera spaces i've been doing music in gospel spaces maybe i'm not well i was definitely classical enough and then maybe i was gospel enough but these worlds uh or even in the slavic community uh i was just slightly russian enough but not fully russian right um hmm. and so because you, you spent some time in, in ukraine yeah in ukraine as that part of your training was there yeah right? mm-hmm. and so the idea is you are enough of this thing but just not fully it sure uh and even in the classical world yeah you may have the voice you may have this but you have to look a certain way you have to be uh a certain height or stature or skin color in order to get this specific role mm-hmm. you may sound great but if you don't necessarily look the part then you don't get the part right and so the question that i kind of had to come to at this point during this during covid was uh what is your race how do you live in your light and not the light of others hmm. and what are you you're using the the word race as a kind of a, as a metaphor for a path that you're following yes a path yes mm-hmm. how do you stay in your lane and protect your own lane that you have and this far i i'm discovering and and shedding light upon what that lane is both musically artistically and also with my voice as a public speaker and it's it's coming along just all right this time is one of a lot of pain and suffering for so many people but I think that your experience of, you know, in that time of pain, in that time of suffering, that your purpose is clarified. The, the word you used, you know, what, what is the race I'm running yeah. um, is, is clarified. And, yeah. and I think that's been a fairly common experience. I'd say I share it to some, to some degree. I'm like, oh, yeah. Everyone does. Yeah. It's a human thing. It's mm-hmm. not about a, a race thing. I think it's once we find that we begin to stop... Uh, living in the light or the perspective of others and we begin to really see ourselves and you'll you'll witness this in the music video you'll you'll witness there's a race this guy is running for some reason in this film and 
it looks great. I resonate with this for some reason. And then he stops and then he looks. Why does he stop? Why is he looking? I think he knows that I'm looking at him. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable towards the end. And there's a question that's there is, do you see me? Because I'm beginning to see myself right now. And this race that I'm running is actually not my own. I choose to not live in the light of others. I choose to live and to see and respect myself. And the moment that I begin to see me, that also tells me and enlightens me what I deserve in life. What jobs do I deserve? What neighborhoods, what quality of life do I deserve to have when I begin to see me? Hmm. And how do I teach others how to love me in the process? Yeah. I think you're right. And I love that you kind of recognize the broadness. And I always hesitate to use the word universal because few things in human experience are universal. Something that is perhaps approaching universality, it, mm-hmm. you know, is that idea of your purpose, your, your goals, your real values, what's actually essential to what you are and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Those are clarified in a time like this the fact that you are a black man and and having this experience and then putting it forward to be recognized, Mm -hmm. you know, is significant as well. And I, but I'm extremely vulnerable. Right. I'm sure. Um, it's actually really interesting. Um, in the process of creating the film, I thought about, you know, going the direction of, well, why don't we just like make this, uh, a little less universal and about me and this experience. I know that this is what it means to me, but like, how about we add in another model? How about we create this thing? And the team kind of paused and I said, you know, I actually envisioned it just solely being you and, and this. It's really like, it's powerful, it's strong. And I thought, no, that is the most vain thing that anyone could ever do. I'm not going to be the only person in this music video. That is not me. Uh, And then I began to kind of shake and tremble in fear the same exact way and sensation that I felt when protests started. And I had the sensation of, this is what the world is going to think of me. I should not go out and protest or they're doing this in the name of, of black people. And they, 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 Mm. me, 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 me. I don't know. And then I realized, wait a second, it's not about you. And I Mm. thought, okay, it's time to go. And so just as I created this film on January, we, we shot on the third of July. And at that moment I decided I have to, to follow that, that fear thing. That's going to be my navigator. And so at the end of that meeting, I said, okay, guys, Ixnay and erase everything that I just said. We're going to have the video be just me. I'm going to follow the intention of fear being my guide in this process, knowing that it's not actually fear, but it's, it's vulnerability. It is power it's authenticity and that is actually what we need during this time we don't need another music video we don't need another song we don't need another boop bop beep bop let's dance and like yeah it's really really cool to have that but we need music that begins to process the soul work that the average individual is not able to do for themselves in the workspace or at their in their home space hmm. As an artist and musician, I am commissioned during this time to do that work, Hmm. to do the soul work. Hmm. And so 
in order to do that soul work, I have to look and reflect within my own self what that is first. And as you see me on film processing my own soul work, beginning to see my, myself for the first time on film in this way, this is, it becomes very, very powerful. And I want to add to this, this film that we created was not funded by any corporation or any music company. It, there was no, it, we raised money solely on uh, our own through you, the listener. Right. I do not have a label behind me. I do not have anything. I'm completely 100% independent. Um, <laughs> and it is the listener who says, yes, I choose to give to this because I see this individual putting light and beauty into the world. And so that's, that's what happened. And hopefully there will be uh, a company or a record label or something that will soon back up the next video, which is going to be exciting because we have a new song coming very soon. The idea is we're solely creating this out of love. Mm. Uh, that music video was has a worth and a donation of almost $300,000 or a little bit more, a little bit over hmm. $300,000 uh, within the works and the cameras that we used and the time spent in um, the individuals on, on board. Yes, many of them did get paid, um, but a lot of people just said, I want to be a part just because of the love of it. And I believe that there needs to be a revolution in music. And that is what you're currently creating right now. Mm. So that is a commission of mine. And I, I find it very, very important. Something that I find really important and that I see in the music video that's that is out now because the documentary is not out yet, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think one, you know, one thing in the arts that we must do is to show rather than tell. Because mm-hmm. you can say, this is coming from love, but then if you don't show that that is true, you know, and there are a lot of ways to do that. But I think that, you know, that vulnerability that you were talking about and, you know, you felt some fear about putting yourself forward in that way mm-hmm. uh, that, that I'm hearing. And... Like I'm um, still a black you know. male living in Portland. Sure. And at any moment for the feds to, you know, to target anyone or something like that. Like I, I don't live in this crazy, beautiful house. I don't drive a really, really great car. I'm just an average guy, uh, who's just trying to do the work. Right. Um, and even if I did have any ounce of fame or anything of that nature, if you saw my little Ford Focus, you'd be like, no, that, that guy is <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely average. But I mean, but it's, I realize that in, in even explaining that narrative, it is not about the car you drive. It is not about the house you live in. It is, that has nothing to do with um, gauging power and impact that you have uh, and an impact that you have on the soul Hmm. and also clarity and so I think when we when we educate through these lenses of beginning to claim your own identity and who you are and realizing that there's celebration and authenticity sure 
and difference. And yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's celebration in that and there's love in that space. And so you'll find your place, you'll find your people, you'll find your community. We're here. We're right. here for you, right. you know, and you, you'll come back home when you, when you choose to. It seems like there's a moment of transition in there for you where you are, you know, like the first step is to recognize those, those things like that fear of stepping forward in a certain way. And then, but then there's the next step of taking responsibility for that mm-hmm. and saying, this is what I'm doing. And yes, I'm going to continue doing it. I mean, if you, if you don't realize what you're doing, if you don't think about it carefully enough to see that perhaps that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. On this podcast, I just put out this piece that I wrote that's, it's an essay, it's about 40 minutes long. I was like, I can't believe how much I wrote about this. But like when the pandemic started, I started building a stone patio and kind of a small retaining wall in my backyard that I've wanted to do for like forever. Um, And like, it's like, well, my weekends are are pretty clear now. So it sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was, I, I feel fortunate to have been able to do it. But I mean, one thing is as I was trying to write about it, I just kept going and going and going and was feeling just like, this is going terribly. And so I I asked a friend of mine who's a great writer and editor, and she looked at it and she's like, you know, what's really happening here is you are sharing your perspective of what you are learning as you're doing this project and the things that are going on in the world at the same time. You know, George Floyd, the protests are happening. I was going to protest for the first time um, and like wrapping my head about what that was like and, and what it meant for me and why did I feel challenged by that, you know, personally and maybe not so much ideologically. It's more about, like, I just feel discomfort personally. And so that this essay, just coming back to that, was like, she's like, what you need to do is take responsibility for your thinking here. It's mm-hmm. like there are times when you say, you know, somebody could think this or, like, you know, it's, it's maybe natural to assume this. And she's like, no, it's like, you need to say what you think. Mm. Um, and even if you aren't sure, or even if maybe you feel uncomfortable about what you're saying, say that too. Yeah. But, but like, it's, it's like what's happening here and what's, what's worth doing about this is that you are recognizing your, your limitations. Mm. You're maybe recognizing your own strengths and you're taking responsibility for that and, and going ahead despite those downsides. But eventually, with her help, I got through it. Thanks, Laura, if you're listening. But it seems like there's an important part of that for you, too, in this project where you're saying, here's what's really important about this and here's what I'm worried about. You know, like mm. there are risks to this professionally, personally personal safety things like yeah. that you yeah. know and, and and deciding to go ahead and 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 it's beautiful that all the the people that were helping you know decided to take that leap with you i think is is really inspiring yeah i will say i have a, a very supportive team for sure um and i couldn't do any of this work without them especially my manager Joni. shout out to to you yeah absolutely but i will also say that there is an immense amount of turmoil that happens. I realize I wake up black. I go to sleep black. I'm a die black. I live in this black body. And oftentimes individuals do not see who I am beyond the color of my skin. They don't see or not willing to see the character that is beyond my actual skin. And because of that, it feels like fire sometimes on my skin. Mm-hmm. If, uh, I feel anxiety inside and internally because of it. Not to say that it's not beautiful, 
because I think that we've done a really, really great job in this film, Living in Light, depicting what it is uh, to live in this beautiful body. And I'm not 250 pounds of muscle. I'm not this tall, crazy dude. I'm just this, like, slender athlete dude. It's a normal guy uh, simply trying to create art, right? And sometimes, well, I'll just say, in the process of creating this and also even protesting, I spent about two and a half days in bed weeping mm-hmm. weeping the death of george floyd weeping the death of brianna taylor weeping my loss of security the idea that you are no longer able to hide in america as a black male you can't hide under certain labels these individuals could potentially be coming for you do not like you you are seen as a threat Mm. what do you do at night now is it okay for you to drive to you know the outskirts of portland is it okay for you to go to hillsborough after a certain time of night you know there was a curfew that we had during that time as well i'm not sure if you remember that yeah um and so there were a lot of individuals who were pulled out of their car who were taken to jail right Mm. right and a lot of those individuals who were taken to jail were not white individuals. Mm-hmm. There were black bodies um, being made an example of. And, and in that, I did not want to go down that route. I've tried almost 30 years of my life trying to figure out how to be safe. And when someone says, hey, just go ahead, go be safe, Be safe when you go outside. I've been doing Hmm. this my whole entire life, and there's nothing else I can do now. Hmm. Who's going to look out for me? And so to go through that process and to go through that emerging space of saying, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I have to do it 100%. If I'm going to lead, then I have to do it for... The, the kids and the youth that come before me, there has to be a change. A change has to come, even if that means I put my body on the line, even if that means I put my voice on the line and I pray and hope that the ancestors are with me in the process in a very, very real way. Yeah. Uh, and so if you follow me on Instagram at Mr. On- underscore Onry, O-N-R-Y, you'll see video footage of me singing at the protest. Mm -hmm. And there was an experience singing for the NAACP recently where the president of the NAACP came up to me and he said, you know, the ancestors were with you when you were born in that surgery room. They were all gathered around. They knew that one day, which is going to be that day that I was singing for (laughs) them, that they would begin to sing through me that day. And so all of my experiences were in preparation for that moment. And so they knew at the beginning of birth who I was and that they'll be grooming me to this point of leadership. And then the moment of leadership began to sing through me as I emptied myself out. And truly, as I emptied myself out, there is a point in one of the videos that you'll see where my voice travels extremely far and if you were there in person it almost traveled about six blocks yes i had a microphone but usually in 
you have a microphone travels about one or two, right? It sure, right. doesn't travel almost six. And to hear my voice ricochet off of all of these buildings and the wind kind of blowing through these trees, I kind of witness like, this is not normal. Hmm. I am not alone. There's something greater than I through this moment that's, that I'm experiencing. And there's a certain level of faith and a certain level of hope that I have to continue to do in order to, to reach this destination. I'm now on the path and race of my own. Henri, thank you so much. This is a really fun conversation, and I, I appreciate all, all that you shared about it. It's very generous of you to share that, and, and I appreciate it, and thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, if you want to continue to support feel free to go to both our Instagrams of Living in the Light Film and then also Mr. Onri, Living in the Light. And you can also look up the music video and support the song on YouTube, mm-hmm. Living in the Light. And if at any moment that you choose to look at our GoFundMe, feel free to, to give to that as well. It is going to be connected in our Living in the Light Instagram you'll be able to find it there. Thank you, Henri. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much to you, Henri. And also to Joni Renee Whitworth for helping to make this interview and the project possible. Make sure you check out the music video and the fundraiser for Living in the Light. You can find links at moredevotedly.com. And while you're there, I hope you'll also sign up for our email list. You can also follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you value the conversations and music you hear on More Devotedly, please tell a friend and rate and review the show so the audience can continue to grow. I'm Douglas Dietrich, and I produced this episode and composed and performed the music right here in Portland, Oregon. Alright, go ahead. Did you like making some glass music? Yeah. What did you do? Can you tell me? I used the yarn sticks to like paint the glass so that it made some good music. It's yeah. great. So you used the knitting needles to make music on the bottles? Mm-hmm. What you're doing is beautiful. Can you do it more devotedly?